0: The sun will rise faster. Only next day, we'll see you next day, we'll see
1: How's everybody doing today? My name is Christian Wagner, and I'm the militant Thomist. So today we will be going over an interesting text. So I was last night. I decided while I was at work that I was going to listen to um, some of the um, some of Father Lagrange's reality. I'd read it before, um, but I decided to go to it again because it's just such an amazing work, and. I decided to uh, listen to the the preface, too, because I usually just skip the preface to most books because most of them are just lame. You know, you just want to get to get to the actual book itself. You don't want all this introductory detail and such. But the introduction was one of the best that I've ever read. It was it it, it was worth uh, reading the whole book. It truly was wonderful because what Father Lagrange does there is Father Lagrange. Wants to dispel this myth that uh, was around in his day, from a lot of the uh, the Nouvelle Theologie, that Scholasticism equaled uh, philosophical naturalism, and then Scholasticism also equaled a complete detachment from the spiritual life. And then he exemplifies the fact that this is false from the principles of Saint Thomas's theology, and then also from Saint Thomas's biography which is it's very, very, very interesting. So I'm going to uh, kind of go through that intro uh, today. Uh, but before that, do not forget, you need to learn Greek. So go to fluentgreeknt.com if you want to be good at Greek and you're tired of not knowing Greek. Also, uh, if you go to christianbwagner.com shop, uh, all the books that I reprint, uh, they're all on there. Um, the newest one is uh the best uh beginner um dogmatic theology i've found which is father kopin's so if you scroll down all the way to the bottom you'll see you'll see some of his books that i've recently reprinted and then also uh everything else um that i've reprinted and i think that is oh wait also if you want all of these books but you want them in pdf uh, if you become a patron at patreoncom slash among the things that I give you is uh, access to the PDFs um, of all of those works after all of my edits. So it's not uh, some weird uh, 1900 scans, but it's it's actually uh, it's actually good stuff. Kyle ratification based. Okay, I will share my screen. Oh yeah, before we start. So, today's sparkling water is, aha, citrus and green tea. I'm not the biggest fan of this. I'm not the biggest fan. It just doesn't have as much flavor as other sparkling waters. So, I will share my screen, and we will begin promise i will not boomer tech this yeah i was also reading um i'm practicing my latin a bit so i've been trying to read a lot in latin i was reading his um liber de perfectione spiritualis vitae um, his book on the perfection of the spiritual life very amazing if you if you want uh, to know a little bit more about saint thomas's spiritual theology so i will throw that link in the chat right now that if you wanted to read that but that is definitely one of uh, that that's his the locus of his of his spiritual works right there saint thomas's that is okay so this is his reality a synthesis of Thomistic thought by father lagrange so i'm just gonna kind of go over the preface right here and a lot of this is going to sound familiar Because this is the exact, he's writing, let me see, this was probably written in what, like 1915, 1920, if I'm remembering correctly. And this 100 years ago, we're dealing with the same uh, stupid uh, arguments and and myths and such about scholasticism. So he writes, contradictory views intellectual and spiritual of St. Thomas have been handed down to us. The avarists reproached him as but half Aristotelian. So uh, the, the Avarists, their argument, is that St. Thomas is actually not even a real philosopher. He's only half an Aristotelian. The Augustinians saw in him an innovator too much attached to the spirit principles and method of Aristotle. This is what we're really going to get a lot in the uh, the Nouvelle Theologie, that we have here innovation. That we're following too much philosophy, following too much Aristotle, you're going to get that from a lot of Protestants too, that he's just a Christian Aristotle, Eastern Orthodox say the same thing. This second judgment reappeared sharply accented in Luther, and again some years ago in the modernists, who maintained that St. Thomas, a Christian Aristotelian, was rather Aristotelian than Christian. In other words, some scholars saw in the works of St. Thomas a naturalization of revealed truth a depreciation of christian faith faith losing its sublimity by a kind of rationalism by exaggeration of the power and rights of reason now this rationalization of faith is indeed found in Leibniz. it is certainly not found in saint thomas again we're still hearing the same stuff that saint thomas naturalized revealed truth that he depreciated christian faith that rationalism has overtaken faith we hear the same stuff over and over and over again but these contrary judgments however inadmissible serve by contrast to set in relief the true physiognomy i i don't know i i I don't know how to pronounce that word i'm sorry i know it's like the, the like the face shape thing of the master whom the church has canonized and entitled doctor communis his whole life all his intelligence, all his forces, were bent to the service of the Christian faith, both in his doctrinal battles and in serenity of contemplation. This is very important. Contemplation and piety are going to play a huge part in Saint Thomas's theology. You'll see this in the rest of reality. That uh, when it comes to method of theology, Father Lagrange is really going to highlight the fact. That theology is fundamentally a mystical and a contemplative exercise using the powers of the intellect. That, that, is, that is what theology is going to be. That we're trying to, um, the, the way he, he describes it very interestingly, that we're trying to make analogs in human language to those things that we have mystically seen. Very, very interesting. Justification of this statement appears in the way he conceived his vocation as a teacher. You find herein an ascending gradation which arouses admiration. 1. Whereas on the one hand, he fully recognizes all that is excellent from the philosophical standpoint in the teaching and method of Aristotle. He shows, on the other hand, against the avarists that reason can prove nothing against the faith. This latter task he accomplished by demonstrating against them from philosophy itself, that God's creative act is free, that creation need not be ab eterno, that man's will is free, that the human soul is characterized by personal immortality. So he's obviously not a pure Aristotelian. And he demonstrates that from reason itself, interestingly enough. So he kind of uh, argues against Aristotle by the method of Aristotle. In opposition to the Augustinians, who, repeating their master by rote, were in a large measure unfaithful to that master, he carefully distinguishes reason from faith, but far from separating these two, he rather unites them. He shows that philosophy deserves to be studied, both for its own sake, and also to establish by arguments drawn simply from reason, that the preambula fide are attainable by the natural force of human intelligence. So I I needed I wanted to go back to this is that this is, this is very interesting what he points out that when you have people who are out there uh reciting by rote uh, this, you get this a lot in um in protestant groups reciting by rote um, certain church fathers and also also orthodox too interestingly enough uh, this is this is a universal problem. They recite their chosen master by rote, whichever church father it may be. And they recite it and repeat it and uh, copy and paste whatever they say. But because they don't have the powers of synthesis, because their, their mind isn't taken up in contemplation and in a certain disciplined stream of thought, because St. Thomas thought like Augustine, he was able to synthesize Augustine. But those who just merely repeat Augustine later on don't have that same synthesizing power. So interestingly enough, by repeating him uh, in rote, they are unfaithful to him. And it's and it's much in the same way uh, with a lot of the Biblicists, is that they may recite scripture by rote, but they don't have that same synthesizing power of St. Thomas to be able to be faithful to the scriptures in that same way. So, for as regards the purposes of theology, which he calls sacred doctrine. He shows first that it is not to be studied merely for personal piety, or for works of edification, or to comment on Holy Scripture, or to assemble, assemble patristic contemplations, or finally to explain the sentences of Lombard. Theology must rather, he goes on to show, be studied as a branch of knowledge. Which establishes scientifically a system of doctrine with objectivity and universal validity, a synthesis that harmonizes supernatural truths with, with the order of natural with the truths of the natural order. Theology is thus conceived of as a science in the Aristotelian sense of the word, a science of the truths of faith. This position granted, it follows that reason must subserve faith. In its work of analyzing the concepts and deepening the understanding of revealed truths. Of showing that many of these truths are subordinated to the articles of faith which are primary. And of deducing the consequences contained virtually in the truths made known by revelation. So there's there's multiple tasks that um, the way in which St. Thomas is using philosophy. It's not a replacement by any means. But he uses it... um, in order to complete the task of theology, that to harmonize supernatural truths with the truths of the natural order, because um, because uh, the revelation, uh, because natural truths are still revelation from God, but in a different modality. It's the mode of natural truths and supernatural truths are revealed supernaturally. As as I said, they're revealed. And this is in a separate modality, but they also they all have the same origin, so They must be synthesized. So without the truths, without knowing the truths of the natural order through philosophy, the synthesis can't occur. And then also um, we have philosophy as the handmaiden of theology, which analyzes concepts. It deepens the understanding of revealed truths. It, um, and then most interestingly… And I think most usefully, it deduces the consequences contained virtually in the truths made known by revelation. Because what you'll get is you'll get people who say, well, where is that in the Bible? You'll, you'll get that all the time, especially when talking to um, your average evangelical. Well, they'll end they'll, up uh, actually, um, Father Lagrange brings this example up later. They'll say, well, well where is, uh, I don't know, the papacy in the Bible? Well, we would say it's in Scripture, but it's in Scripture um, in a certain uh, virtual modality, because obviously there's no uh, third Peter where Peter talks about the prerogatives and the um, the office of the papacy. It's something which is contained virtually in a certain revealed truth. So we are revealed uh, certain prerogative, unique prerogatives of Saint Peter, and then virtually contained in that is is all of um, all of the truths about the papacy so knowing how scripture relates to theology and how reason is a tool in order to deduce uh, a certain scientific system of truths nor does faith by thus employing reason lose aught of its spiritual supernatural character just the contrary for saint thomas faith is an infused virtue essentially supernatural by its proper object and formal motive a virtue which, by an act that is simple and infallible, far above all apologetic reasoning, makes us adhere to God revealing and revealed. Infused faith, therefore, is superior not only to the highest philosophy, but also to the most enlightened theology, since theology can never be more than an explanatory and deductive commentary on faith. So for St. Thomas, this is, this is very interesting. Um, I think Father Lagrange, and I've mentioned this quote before, he said in his work on mysticism, I think he was quoting St. John of the Cross, if I'm remembering correctly, that a single drop of charity is worth more than all of the angels in, in heaven, than all of the creation on earth, uh, because um, charity is a certain, um, a certain supernatural participation in the divine life in the very life of the Holy Trinity. And when it comes to faith, faith is also an infused virtue. Um, it is a sanctifying grace. So faith too, we could we could say a single drop of faith is worth more also than all of the heavens and all of the earth. A single uh, drop of infused faith is greater than all of the books of theology ever written. Because the way in which St. Thomas conceives of the virtue of faith and then the task of theology is faith is something which is, um, inchoate, uh, abiding and living within us. It's a certain, um, it's a certain, I guess you could say vision of, of God revealing and revealed. And then what we're doing in theology is we're taking that intuitive, um, knowledge of God and from the sources of faith, we're taking it and then we're, uh, speaking forth in, in, uh. In certain written significations, those that faith which already abides within us. So this is this is a fundamentally supernatural act. This isn't something which is um, which is purely naturalistic for Saint Thomas. And then I'm gonna check the live chat real quick. I'm sick, brothers. If I die, don't rent your garments. You still need them to keep warm. Don't take ashes on your head in mourning, for I will die more alive than you. F in the chat. Yes, he did. Stream over. Bro, get just cope, the other Paul. Cope. Cope. Nice title, Tertullian. Tertullian can cope, too. St. Thomas is the best. He surpasses Tertullian in every single regard. I'm, sure, You know, St. Thomas was better in everything than Tertullian, because Tertullian died outside of the church. Further, this conception of theology does not in any way lower Christian faith from its elevation. For as the saint teaches, the source of theology is contemplation. Source of theology is contemplation. That is, infused faith vivified not only by charity, but also by the gifts of knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Gifts which make faith penetrating and pleasant of taste. So what you have is you have that infused faith, which is vivified. by. We normally speak of faith which is vivified or formed by charity. But when it comes to the theologian, the theologian ought to have faith which is vivified by by certain supernatural gifts because these aren't uh, natural gifts, these are supernatural gifts from the Holy Spirit. Those are the gifts of knowledge, the gift of understanding, and the gift of wisdom. That is that is what faith is is formed by, so formed by. So Saint Thomas is always going to have this as a as a supernatural task. Thus, theology reaches a most fruitful understanding of revealed mysteries by finding analogies in truths which we know naturally, and also by tracing the intertwining of these mysteries with one another and with the last end of our life. So another uh, very important part to St. Thomas's theology is, well, I guess you could say his method of theology, is finding analogies in truths which we know naturally. Because when it comes to supernatural truths, um, obviously uh, those natural signs, which we have called language, uh, well, I guess, no, not natural signs, sorry, conventional signs, which we have called language, is not going to be, be able to express in its fullness and be able to signify uh, supernatural truths. It only is able to signify analogously. Uh, that that is with a certain uh, likeness and a certain uh, dislikeness or certain similitude and a certain dissimilitude in our language. So with St. Thomas, what you have is you have that intuitive faith formed by charity, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom of of the uh, of the faith itself, the object of faith, which is God revealing and revealed. And then with expressing that faith in language, which is theology, you're going to have those words which fall short. But they're going to um, be analogous, be able to express a a certain similitude, a certain likeness to that faith which already resides within you. Such is the conception formed by St. Thomas on his vocation as Catholic doctor and particularly as theologian. And his sanctity added to the power of his genius enabled him to reply fully to his providential calling. This is another important thing, the the task of the sanctity of the theologian, because if if we truly see theology as a supernatural task, if we truly see the source of theology as contemplation, if we see infused faith vivified by charity, gifts of knowledge, understanding and wisdom, as that uh, very grounds for theology, not just uh, merely natural learning, then we will judge a theologian often by his sanctity now his natural knowledge is another um, is another component but the sanctity of the theologian is what is what is going to be truly important so when when people it's it's kind of funny when you when you'll be debating i don't know with uh, let's say you have a muslim and you're talking to a muslim what do they always do they always point to musculars. schoolers say uh this or that. And these guys are—they—they um, they, they aren't even Christians, and if they are, they're—they're they're heretics, and they don't even have the virtue of faith. Saying, "Oh, listen to my schoolers what they say about the the Christian faith." Well, they don't have the spirit which ex- inspired the scriptures. They don't have even the virtue of faith, which is the uh, the very heart and soul. Of the theological task so honestly i couldn't possibly care less what they say about theology because this isn't a natural task so you can um utterly ignore 99 percent of of the schoolers who who write about all of this stuff and that that's why there there's a uh, there's a foundational reason for why um why you'll often see me when, when people bring up like, Oh, this, uh, this Harvard scholar who, um, who is actually, uh, in a, in a homosexual relationship and is an Episcopalian that this, this is what this, this Harvard scholar, uh, says about, um, I don't know, uh, something that Scotus, blessed John dun Scotus teaches. Well, you can't understand blessed John Dun Scotus if you don't have the spirit, which, which also inspired Lester John Duns Scotus, it's, it's utterly impossible. So you can just um, thoroughly ignore most of what they say because um, they're merely working on a, le- a natural level and not a supernatural level. So really nothing what they're going to say is going to be helpful when it comes to the task of theology, um, except by way of, uh, of synthesizing natural truths because they can only speak natural truths. So really with theology, since it is a supernatural task of expressing the faith which abides in you, you can utterly ignore what they say. Like you do not need to even concern yourself one bit about what they say if they are outside of the faith. Okay, in his doctrinal controversies carried on exclusively in defense of the faith, he was always humble, patient, and magnanimous. Yeah, I think we we all need to remember to be a little bit more humble, patient, and magnanimous in our defense of the faith. Courageous indeed, so don't forget to be courageous, but always prudent. Trust in God led him to unite prayer to study. William de Tocco, his biographer, writes of him, whenever he was to study, to undertake a solemn disputation, to teach, to write, or dictate, he began by retiring to pray in secret weeping as he prayed to obtain understanding of the divine mysteries. And he returned with the light he had prayed for. The same biographer gives two striking examples. While writing his commentary on Isaiah, the saint came to a passage, which he did not understand for several days. He prayed and fasted for light. Then he was supernaturally enlightened to his con, to Reginald. He he revealed the extraordinary manner in which the light came to him, namely by the Apostles Peter and Paul. This account was confirmed by one of the witnesses in the saint's canonization process. A second example is reported. In the friary at Naples, when the saint was writing of the Passion and the Resurrection of Christ, he was seen while praying before a crucifix in the church to be lifted up from the floor, Then it was that he heard the words, Thomas, thou hast written well of me. Daily after celebrating mass, he assisted at a second, where often he was the humble server. To solve difficulties, he would pray before the tabernacle. He never, we might say, went out of the cloister. He slept little, passed much of the night in prayer. When at Compline during Lent, he listened to the antiphon, midst in life we are in death. He could not restrain his tears. Prayer gave him light and inspiration when he wrote the Office of the Blessed Sacrament. William de Tocco tells us also that the saint was often seen in ecstasy, and that one day, while he was dictating a long article on the Trinity, he did not notice that the candle in his hand had gone so low that it was burning his fingers. Towards the end of his life, he was favored with an intellectual vision, so sublime and so simple, that he was unable to continue dictating the treatise on penance, Which he had commenced he told his faithful companion that he was dying as a simple religious a grace that he had prayed the lord to grant him his last words were given to a commentary on the canticle of canticles let these traits suffice to show that saint thomas reached the heights of contemplation and that in his own life he exemplified his own teaching on the source of theology Theology pouring forth from the fullness of contemplation, this truth the Church recognizes by calling him Doctor Communis, and by commending his teaching in numerous encyclicals, especially by the Attorney Patris of Leo the Thirteenth. The present work is an exposition. Oh, and then he goes into what the present the uh, the present work is. But yeah, that is, and this is really good work, by the way. It goes over basically. St. Thomas's works, and then all of his commentators, and then all of the um the uh, important parts of his Summa. So that is. John of Saint Saint John of Damascus. I love Saint John of Damascus. He is interestingly enough, he's one of the few Latins that, me and one of the few Greeks that the Latins had access to. Filioque, natural theology leads to patremamo. Question, why didn't you sub-distinguish the minor premise? Well, usually um, I would contradistinguish the minor premise, but if you have any objections, I could.
0: I could go for it.
1: <clears throat> okay, well, that is all I have for you. So, I will see you all later. Remember, it is Easter and Christ is risen from the dead. Alleluia, alleluia.